you would open your Bibles to Judges chapter 16, I'll be reading verses 4 and 5. That was Judges chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came upon her and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give thee every one of us eleven hundred pieces of silver. Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together once again today. We've had a great day and we are glad that you are here and we hope and pray that our time spent together will be beneficial, that it will help all of us grow closer, not just to one another, but also to the Lord. I do want to mention, and I know that it was stated earlier, at least in another service, but we want to, uh, I, I think, rejoice over the baptism of Wes McGee. And he is sitting to my right, toward the back, in front of Lynn Stevens. And he was baptized last week at, well, it was a VBS in Eagleville, in Missouri, on a mission trip. And I said last week when I heard about it that if that if that were the only good thing that came about as a result of that mission trip, then it was well worth it. And so we're grateful to him, and we're very thankful for the influence that, that brought him to Christ, and we pray that God will bless him with a long and rich life in God's service. And we're proud of all of our young folks, and we're glad that we had a number of young people that went on the trip last week. I know that they had a great time, and I'm sure they're glad to be back home. But a lot of good was done. I think several Bible studies were set up, and uh, had somebody from the community visit on a Wednesday night, was it? And so that's, that's great. And so we, we appreciate their efforts and we're thankful for Jared and his uh, willingness to lead that endeavor up. Tonight we're going to be looking at the book of Judges in Judges chapter 16. And we want to talk for a minute or two tonight about the strength and weakness of Samson. Typically when we think about Samson, immediately our minds conjure up the great physical strength or prowess that he demonstrated in his life. And yet just as Samson was a man of great physical strength, in many respects he was a man of great weakness, spiritually speaking. And so when you look at the book of Judges in chapter 16, you read to some extent of the rise and fall of Samson. And really, the book of Judges itself lends insight into the rise and fall of this man that was called upon by God to serve as a judge or one who would deliver Israel and his opponent, the Philistines. The Bible speaks of Samson in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. He is listed among Faye's Hall of Fame. And the Bible speaks of Samson and those who stopped the mouths of lions. And of course, in the book of Judges, we read about Samson slaying a lion. And then in chapter 15, the Bible talks about how Samson took the jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand men. And so he was a man of extraordinary strength, physically speaking. 
if only he had been as strong spiritually. And so tonight I want to call attention, first of all, to the endearment of Samson. As we think about the endearment of Samson, I want to begin by calling attention to his lust. And Samson was a man, in many respects, of unbridled lust. Note, if you would, his unwholesome attraction, as recorded in verse 1. The Bible says that he went down to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went in to her. When, when you think about here is this individual who has been deemed a Nazarite by Almighty God. Here was a man that God would use and could use in a very mighty way, and yet he has unwholesome attractions. And this is not the first instance of this by any means. Now in this same text, or in this same context, we have his uncommon act. I said a moment ago that he was a man of tremendous strength. Look at verses 2 and 3. In verses 2 and 3, the writer said when the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it is daylight, we shall kill him. Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now just imagine that. Some have estimated that this would have been a distance of about 40 miles. But you, just, you just think about the extraordinary strength that would have been required to have carried out this feat. And yet Samson had the ability, the God-given ability to do that. Now in verses, well actually in verse 4, we read about his love. And here we have his unhealthy association. In verse 4 the Bible says that afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Some have said that Delilah may very well have been a temple prostitute, but she was a harlot. Some have also conjectured that she was associated with the pagan temple god, Dagon. Be that as it may, one of the problems that stands out in the life of Samson is he has unwholesome, unhealthy attractions and associations. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And then I think about the Israelite people. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, God had prohibited the Israelite people from doing what? Intermarrying. They were not to intermarry with people outside of Israel. Why was that? Because God said in his great wisdom that those who did so would be led astray. They would be led away into idolatry. The wisdom of Almighty God. And I think there's a lesson there for us today. 
We talk about our alliances, the people that we choose to associate with and befriend in life. Now somebody says, well, can't I befriend somebody and try to influence them for good? Yes. Jesus oftentimes reached out to those who were classified in many respects as untouchable. And yet he had a profound influence upon them. He used his influence for good, and we can do the same. But so many times when people fail to exercise caution or good judgment in the realm of choosing the right kind of associations, what happens? They align themselves with the wrong kind of people, and the next thing you know, their lives are a spiritual mess. Samson could have avoided a lot of heartache and sorrow in his life had he only chosen to honor the will of God. Now I want you to see in the second place the enticement of Samson. I want to begin by talking about his lies. And as we think about this particular point, let me just say that Delilah sold him out. In other words, here was somebody that could not be trusted. Now in the book of Proverbs in chapter 31, the Bible talks about the virtuous woman. And the question is asked, who can find a virtuous woman? The response, her price is far above rubies. It's in that context that the writer said, the heart of her husband safely trust in her. Samson and Delilah. When you read the text, one thing that is absolutely clear, this woman could not be trusted. She sold him out. She didn't love the man, but there was something that she did love. You know what it was? She loved money. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 5. The lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Some have said that that would have been a sum of a little bit less than $4,000. That's a lot of money, particularly in that day and time. But she was willing to sell him out. Their relationship, in many respects, was built on falsehood, wasn't it? There was really not a connection there. Here was an individual, Samson, that should have been a man of God. And in choosing somebody to associate with, he should have chosen somebody that would have been a benefit to him, spiritually speaking. And yet all this woman did was not only sell him out, but she subverted him. I said a moment ago that we have a record of his lies, and really what, what we have are two people lying to one another. Their relationship was built and based on lies. You think you can have a happy home? Can you have a, a good foundation if two people can't trust one another? Let me tell you what, if you can't trust somebody, you've got a real problem in life. Again, I think about what was recorded in Proverbs 31 about the virtuous woman and how the heart of her husband safely trusts in her. Here's a godly woman, here's a godly man, and he can trust her. 
He has no qualms about their relationship. Now let me tell you what. Short and simple, this woman could not be trusted. So we have her lies, and her lies were sinister. His lies, on the other hand, were senseless. And the question that continues to reoccur in my mind as I read this account, as I think about Samson, why even go there? Why, why play the game? Which is really what he was doing. So having said that, note if you would the account recorded for us. Beginning in verse 6, Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Now, there, there are a lot of things that could probably be said about this account and this portion of the passage that is before us. One thing I do want to point out is that bowstrings were made from the intestines of animals. And as they dried, they became extremely strong or very strong. And, and, and so Samson is saying, look, these bowstrings don't even have to be dried. And I think that was somewhat of an insult to the Philistines. But he was playing with them. He was toying with them. And ultimately, it's going to get him into trouble. Look now at verse 11. So, he said to her, well, verse 10, Delilah said to Samson, Look, you mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And there were men lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Again, we talk about the great strength of this man. And yes, he was, he was strong, but he was very weak spiritually, which will be borne out more so in detail. So verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me. What you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the weave, into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly. And the Bible says, She said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. So we have his lies and her lies. Her desire is to subvert him. As I said a moment ago, she sold him out. She was willing to sell him out for money. Paul said, 
The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some men having sought out have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. I want you to now think with me for just a moment about his lethargic or his indifferent spirit. And what I mean here is, number one, that Samson was beaten down by Delilah. Do you know what it means to be beaten down? To, to receive a beat down, as people say today? This guy was hammered. He was beaten down. Somebody says, well, how do you know that? Well, look at verse 16. And let me just preface this by saying, a couple of weeks ago in class on Tuesday morning, we were talking about the work of the devil. And I cited Judges chapter 16. And in verse 16, the Bible says, It came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him, so that his soul was vexed to death, Dorothy Mosher spoke up. And she was talking about women and their relationship to their husbands. And she said, you know, sometimes we pester as wives our husband. And she said, we do that so that we can get what we want. Now, I didn't say that. She did. I'm just relaying the story. But note if you would, not only did she pester him, but she pressed him. And the Bible says his soul was vexed to death. You talk about somebody that has been beaten down, somebody that has been hammered, somebody that has just been under the gun, as we would say. That was Samson. There is a lesson there for us as it relates to the devil and how he operates. Did you know that the devil is constantly after us as members of the human family? Does he ever let up? Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary of the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now James said in James chapter 4 verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So if I resist the devil, what will he do? Well, James said he'll leave us alone. But that doesn't mean he'll leave us alone for good. Indefinitely, he'll come back. How do I know that? Well, in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus had just faced three temptations by the devil. And the Bible says the devil left him until an opportune time. All that is saying, all that Luke is saying there is that the devil left him alone for a little while, for a season. You and I, we battle temptation every day. Temptation comes in many, many forms. There are many devices of Satan that he uses to subvert our faith. Paul would say, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. You may resist him today. And Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, whom withstand or resist steadfast in the faith. Just because you're victorious today doesn't mean he's not going to come back tomorrow and say, here I am again. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians 4, 27, neither give place to the devil. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life. 
One of the real problems, at, at least from my perspective, as I read this account about Samson, Samson was beaten down by Delilah, yes. And that beatdown led to him being burned by Delilah. Here's the point, and we use this expression on, on, on many occasions in life. If you play with fire long enough, what's going to happen? You'll get burned. Samson was playing with fire. I mean, this guy should have seen right off the bat what she was trying to do. Can you believe, it, it's almost incredulous that he allowed this woman to delve into his life and pry away the source of his strength and him knowing full well that she was intent on hurting him. What about the devil? Is it not the case that the devil, as we sing from time to time, still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe? Is that not the case? Yes. We know that the devil is out here. He's lurking about. He's doing everything he can to destroy, to circumvent, to hurt our faith. And yet what do we do sometimes? We, we play with it. We, we play with the devil. We toy around with things. We engage in certain kinds of behavior. We go places, do things, we say things we know we shouldn't do. We know we shouldn't say that, but we do it anyway. What does that say to us? We're playing with fire. And you play with fire and you'll get burned. Samson got burned. And when I say he got burned, I mean he got burned badly. Scripture, this account, is here for a reason. Paul said in Romans chapter 15 verse 4, whatsoever things were written before time were written for our learning, that we, by patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. When I read this account about the life of Samson and what took place between him and Delilah, I ought to be able to learn from it. And I ought to be able to make the connection that just as Delilah sold him out and subverted him, that's exactly what the devil's trying to do to us today. He's, he's going to sell us out and he will subvert us. He will destroy you. You ever known anybody that had an intense hatred for you as an individual? I mean, they absolutely hated you to the core. You ever, ever known anybody like that? I hope and pray you don't. But I know somebody that hates you to the core. That somebody is the devil. He hates you. He wants nothing good for you in your life. He wants to see young and old alike destroyed, maimed, hurt. He is and always will be until the end of time the enemy of man. He's constantly lurking. And if we let our guard down, we've got some real problems. It's my conviction that the devil is a fallen angel. And there are a couple of Old Testament passages that I think could very well be a personification of the fall 
of the devil. Be that as it may. The first time that we read about the work of the devil is Genesis chapter 3. The devil is not omnipotent, that is, he's not all-powerful, he's not omniscient, he's not all-knowing. He's not omnipresent, ever-present like God. He's not deity. But he is a force to be reckoned with. And we dare not underestimate his tactics and his work. Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 11, he said, we're not ignorant of the devices of Satan. Why, Paul? Lest he gain advantage over us. You better know your enemy. In this case, you better know what the devil's all about. You better understand how he operates. And if you look at Genesis chapter 3, Matthew chapter 4, the temptations posed to, to Jesus, and then 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, you will find that the means by which the devil seeks to exploit those of us in the human family is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's how, he, that's how he operates against us as members of the human family. Now, note what is said in verses 17 through 20. Here's what is recorded. Samson told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. I think about his locks or his braids. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Let's think now for just a minute about the entrapment of Samson. In verses 21 and following, we have his losses. And the losses of Samson were great. When you go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil and lose, your losses will be great. Potentially, we talk about things being life-threatening. This is, at least from the vantage point of a spiritual perspective, if we lose in our fight with the devil, long-term, it threatens our eternal relationship with the Lord. Let's note what is recorded concerning the consequences of his actions. As we read verses 21 and following, I want to remind you of a passage of Scripture found in the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Paul said, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. 
He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. The principle is you reap what you sow. You sow good seed, you'll reap, good, you'll reap a good harvest. You sow bad seed, well, you know what kind of harvest you have before you. So look at verse 21. Then the Philistines took him, note if you would what is said, and put out his eyes. First of all, sin. And this is the application. Sin will blind you. We talk about the losses of Samson. He lost his eyesight. Can you imagine being blind? Here is a man that was a judge, a man called upon by God to be a deliverer for the Israelite nation, and now he's blind. Why? Because of his own actions. Because he was foolish. He played with fire, and it burned him. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 4 that the God of this age, and that is the devil, the God of this age or the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Is it not the case that the devil is in the business of blinding people to sin and unrighteousness in our world today? The answer is yes. If, if you wanted to blind people to what is truth and error, right or wrong, good and evil, how would you do it? If you wanted to carry out an all-out assault on a family or a home, on a city or a state, or a nation, what would you do? What kind of tactics would you, would you employ? If your intent was to blind people to right and wrong, how would you do it? Let me tell you how I would do it. I would take this book that we call the Bible and I would devalue it in the minds of people. I would tell people, you don't need this book called the Bible. I mean, this book's just fables. It's fiction. I mean, this stuff can't be proved. I would, I would set out to remove it from homes. I would do my best to take it out of the hands of mamas and daddies so they couldn't teach their children. I'd do my best to get it out of the school systems all across the nation. I'd do my best to get it out of the government. In short, I would try to remove this book from society. Once that happens, guess what? Stand back. People become blind to right and wrong. Look, look at our nation today. Did you know that we have people that are educated people? Individuals that have been to some of the finest universities or learning institutions all across our country, some have even gone abroad and studied. They are well-spoken, they are well-educated, they can articulate their positions. 
And yet, as Paul said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Why? Because they are blind to truth. They're blind to the will of God. And we've got folks today that have become blinded by sin. Sin blinds people. We may not see that. We may not understand it. It is a subtle thing. You see, if you wanted to bring about wholesale change, you don't do it overnight. You do it over time. What happens? People become desensitized, don't they? You just beat them down a little bit at a time. Jeremiah asked the question centuries ago, were they ashamed when they committed abominations? His response, no, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Why? They had become desensitized. That's what's happening in our society. Who is responsible for it? The God of this age? The devil wants to blind people so that they can't discern between right or wrong, truth or error, good and evil. You remember Isaiah the prophet in the long ago when he said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil? What was the problem? They were confused. Why were they confused? Because they had turned a deaf ear to the word of God. And yet Isaiah said, seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. The only way to overturn spiritual blindness is to take the light of God's word and shine it on the darkness. The Bible says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We are engulfed in spiritual darkness. And the only way to shine or the only way to dispel the darkness is to shine the truth of God's word on the evil and the ungodly. There's a second thing. Sin will not only blind you, but it will bind you. Look at what it said in verse 21. The Philistines took him, put out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. Now let me just pause there for a minute. Here is this man a great judge, a deliverer. Not only has he been blinded, but he is now bound like a common slave. That's exactly what sin does to people. The problem is people don't see that. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34, that those who engage in a life of sin have become literally the bondservants of sin. In other words, they are a slave to it. You ever watch people or you ever observe people that have a problem with alcohol or some other, some other type of drug? You ever seen somebody who is literally enslaved to that? You want to talk about something that will sicken your soul. People that are so dependent on a glass of alcohol or some other type of narcotic drug, they can't make it through the day? What has happened? They are enslaved. That's what sin does. There are folks that are enslaved to a lot of different things in our world. The devil knows if he can get you enslaved to a life of sin, then he's got you. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 19 talks about somebody who has been overtaken. He said literally that that person is now in bondage. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about the devil and trying to 
get somebody out of the clutches of the devil. And he said that they are taken captive by the devil to do his will. In other words, they have been imprisoned by the devil. That's what the devil will do to you. People say, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to be enslaved to that way of life. Let me tell you what, if you're not enslaved to Christianity, you're enslaved to the world. Can you think of anything negative associated with being a child of God? Can you give me some, some viable reasons why you shouldn't be a Christian? I can't give you any viable reasons why you shouldn't be a Christian, but I can give you a lot of viable reasons why you shouldn't be living in the world. Why you shouldn't let the devil control your life. Not only will sin blind you and bind you, but it will belittle you. Listen to what he said. Look again at verse 21. The Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters. He became a grinder in the prison. The text says, however, the hair, the hair of his head began to grow again after it, had been, after it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to, to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. Look at verse 25. So it happened, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. Some translations say that he may make sport for us. What were they doing? They were using Samson. Using him like a puppet on strings. Here's the point. You want to live in sin? You want to affiliate yourself, align yourself with the devil? Let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to take you, he's going to blind you, he's going to bind you, and then he's going to make you look like a fool before everybody. There are a lot of folks today, they can't see that. Because they are so blind to what they're doing, the devil will make a fool out of you. I have seen people that have made terrible mistakes. I mean terrible mistakes. And the mistakes they have made have been because they weren't grounded in truth. And sometimes they have ended up looking like a fool. You ever seen somebody... Get drunk and act like a fool? You ever seen somebody that gets caught up in a quest, a love for money, and they do a lot of crazy things? They extort, they steal, they end up marring their reputation, they hurt their family, they bring shame and disgrace on themselves. What do they do? They make a fool of themselves. Do you remember the president of the United States some years ago when he had a sexual relationship with an intern? Do you remember when he stood on national television and disclaimed having a sexual relationship with her and then later it came out as being true? What happened? It made him look like a fool. That's what sin does. 
And the point is, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, black or white, rich or poor, educated, uneducated, it doesn't matter. Sin will belittle you. It will make you look like a fool. If only people could see that. So we talk about the strength of Samson. He was a strong man, but he wasn't strong where it counted. You want to be strong today, you need to be strong spiritually. I want to close by acknowledging the fact that I've gone overtime. I looked up, it's almost 7 o'clock. It wasn't my intent to go this long, but I did. Nonetheless, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, what we want you to do is obey the gospel tonight. Don't let the devil get a foothold in your life and keep you in sin. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. If you'll obey the gospel, repent, be baptized into Christ, based on Acts chapter 2, verse 38, God will add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. And you, by living faithfully, have the assurance of a crown of life, Revelation 2, 10. If you're unfaithful to his cause, we want to plead, we want to encourage you, come home. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you tonight. You can leave here a saved cleansed child of God. Back in fellowship with God and his people. Won't you do that tonight as we stand and sing?